All right, so welcome to Sheep Stuff You Should Know. Dan Macon up here in Auburn, California. And Ryan Mahoney here out of Rio Vista. And this is what, number 10? I think so. I think we're on number 10 now. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. What a what a great uh, what a great positive out of all this coronavirus. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's uh, been really fun to have an excuse to catch up once a week and talk about all sorts of fun stuff. So, how was Absolutely. your week? What's going on down there? Well, it's been an eventful one. Uh, but it's been it's been good, but uh, very eventful. We had um, we had two fires. Um, one small one that most likely was intentionally set along the side of a road on a back road and that burned about, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe a hundred acres. And then we had a, uh, one of the giant wind turbines caught fire and burned about 300 acres. And so between the two happening about three, four days apart, it has been pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, so, but other than that, it's been great. <laughs> well, and, and so I think like one of our early episodes, we were talking about risk management. You had talked about putting fire breaks in. Um, and I'm imagining that that really was hammered home. That was, that was. Oh, yeah, good. absolutely. On the, the where the wind turbine came through it, uh, we were short of feed already, and which is one of the reasons why we're having early fires. Typically, we won't see fires in the Montezuma Hills till um, late June, early July is when it really starts drying out. Typically, we show a little green in, in uh, first of June, but this year, we went dry in the middle of May, and so everything's really dried out, and um, we've also weaned all our cattle early, and um, center cold cows to market early typically we'd hold them and dry them out for 45 days but uh, we just sent everything to sale right away to try to conserve as much summer feed as we could and then whew, here comes a fire ripping through and <laughs> takes out a bunch of your summer feed but thankfully we um we, we we do we do cut a lot of fire guards and we do know we have that wildfire risk of that grass fires and so we cut some pretty good fire guards and um you know, the, it, they did what they were supposed to do, um, where the wind was howling, um, kind of to the, the, we had a westerly breeze. And so the fire guard on the west side of the fire, the first fire guard didn't hold, but the second one did because the fire department were able to come and break along it and they stopped it there. And if it hadn't, if it hadn't have done that and jumped the road, it was about, probably as the crow flies about two miles from town headed straight that way. And wow. there were fields in between when those farmers all have fire guards. So I mean, there's a reason we do that. And um, we're just really thankful that my parents' house is right in that path too. So <laughs> it would have been, it would have been pretty, uh, my parents, I think they're, um, they're only about, they're less than a mile away from where that fire was. The fire was on my, um, my great great grandfather's homestead and um she had he had four daughters and then my um my other the amy settled at the home ranch where my parents live and um it would have been my great grandpa art amy the story goes my great grandpa art amy ran a telephone line from his house over the hill to the nielsen homestead so he could call up 
grandma Amy, great grandma Amy <laughs> on this private phone line they set up. And so that tells you how close <laughs> it is that you know, he's able to run a wire all the way there. And so it was, yeah, it was pretty close, but um, like I said, I mean, we're so blessed with such an excellent fire department. Majority of the firefighters are all volunteer, but they really love what they do. And, um, and they have really good equipment and good support from the community. And, and uh, we're just, we're really fortunate to have those guys because in both of our instances, they got on it really quick. Um, our, our neighbors are exceptional um, where everybody knows everybody. And we were able to pinpoint exactly where the fire was, I'd say within five to 10 minutes of it starting. And um, the neighbors came over with their tractors that were closer than ours to start helping continually to disc more fire breaks within and put, help the fire department put out hotspots. I mean, just, you know, those things are great to, when you see that community come together. And, uh, yeah. the, you know, we had no livestock losses. We had livestock in one of the fields, but we were able to move them to the north really easy. And, and um, we had a water system in the path. And the fire department, because everybody knows everybody, uh, uh, one of the guys, a firefighter, um, he knew right where the water was. So he just took his engine straight out to it and started watering down the water system and completely protected, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000 worth of equipment. And uh, just, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just spectacular when those guys get out there and work like that. I just, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So how was your week? That's, you know, we had our, good, good. I was just going to say we had our first little fire, maybe a mile and a half, two miles from, from our irrigated pasture. Um, and kind of the same thing. We don't have a volunteer fire department, but all the ranchers here kind of know where where folks are and the, the phone tree starts up just to make sure everybody's safe. So it's, uh, it's all something at the forefront of everybody's mind right now, for sure. We had puppies this week. Yeah, had, I saw uh, some pictures. Those are cute little buggers. They are, they look like little hamsters right now. But uh, <laughs> it's always fun. Always that's, good. that's cool. Well, that kind of is a good segue into the topic of the day. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about dogs, working dogs. I, yeah. um, and I wanted to talk specifically about livestock guardian dogs. We don't run any on our ranch and, um, and I'm very naive on the subject uh, because I don't have a lot of experience with it, but uh, that's kind of the point of this is to, is to educate yourself. So I'm pretty excited to ask you a few questions and, um, they, you know, anybody who has experience with livestock guardian dogs may think that these are dumb questions, but they're my questions because I don't know nothing about them. So um, <laughs> I want to dig in and I just want to, um, the first question is just what, what is a livestock guardian dog? How does that dog differ in its role from the other dogs on the ranch? And how important is, are those dogs to your operation? All really good questions, Ryan. Really good questions. Um, you know, and there are just like there are breeds that evolved over hundreds and thousands of years to herd livestock. There are breeds that that have evolved as livestock protectors, and um, many of those breeds that we think of as livestock guardian dogs were probably amongst the first dogs domesticated by humans. So we, we probably domesticated sheep and goats very early on. And shortly thereafter realized that there were lots of things that liked to kill sheep and goats. 
And so we started um, having dogs that, that would stay with them and protect them. And those dogs got to, to reproduce. And that was kind of the origins of those livestock guardian dog breeds. Um, they're different in herding dogs in that we've, we've bred them over the centuries to be very submissive to livestock. And um, we'll talk a little bit about bonding here in, in a bit, I'm sure. But, you know, our border collies or our, our herding dogs really rely on their hunting instincts to be able to, to move livestock. Our guardian dogs have a whole different set of instincts. And those instincts are to um, be submissive to the animals they're bonded with but be um, aggressive towards what they perceive to be a threat to those animals. So our guard dogs um, live with the sheep 24 seven, all kinds of conditions. Uh, they can't decide if the guard dogs think of themselves as more intelligent sheep, or if they think of the sheep as their less intelligent pack members, um, but they're, they're with the dogs all the time or with the sheep all the time. Um, the dogs that we use, we, we use, we try to have the, just enough dogs and not a dog more because they do add a cost to the operation. Um, but we like to have enough dogs so that when we're spread out with different groups of sheep, we can have at least one dog with each group of sheep um, at all times. And so for us, because we, we're operating remote from our home place. I'm not around the sheep, except when we're out checking them in the day. We feel like we need something there to protect them from, from the predators in our environment. We've done uh, some work using trail cameras just to find out what we've got in close proximity to the sheep, just so we know kind of what the, what the enemy is, so to speak. And um, as you might imagine, we've got lots of coyotes around. Um, just about every time of year we put a camera up, we get a coyote in the camera within 20 feet or so of where our fences are. Um, we also have black bear in our environment, which, which we can be concerned about sometimes of the year. Foxes and bobcats. And then we also have mountain lions um, here in the foothills, uh, probably more mountain lions than we realize. And so um, just for my own peace of mind, having a dog out there that is going to deter those predators from getting in the sheep is, is uh, really important. Are, do the livestock guardian dogs, do they, do they do better in a pack situation where there's a couple of them in or just singular with the sheep? You know, it really depends on the dog and on the time of year and, and on the environment. Um, we had, a, I've got a photo that I snapped on a trail camera this year while we were lambing. Um, we were in a, a paddock that was fenced on three sides with electric fence. Uh, it was about 15 acres, um, pretty brushy country, <coughs> hard wire fence on one side. And I've got a picture of a mountain lion about 20 yards from that fence while the sheep were in there at lambing. And at that point, we just had a single dog with those sheep. And between the, the electric fence and the guard dog, um, you know, it was, it was sufficient. Where we know, <coughs> excuse me, that there's going to be a lot of predator pressure in an area where the dogs can't see very well, 
<coughs> I like to have multiple dogs with a group of sheep. Um, working on a research basis with a, an outfit that, that herds sheep up in the Sierra Nevada, up north of Truckee this last year. Um, because they had dry ewes and because they had herders with the sheep, they were comfortable keeping one to two dogs with each band. So, you know, our very small operation, one to two dogs, the sheep to dog ratio is pretty low. Um, when you're talking 1,100 dry ewes with one dog, that's a lot of sheep for that one dog to protect. But it, it worked for them in that particular setting. And what are what are some of the breeds that, that are used, kind of some of the typical breeds, and then maybe one or two eight non-typical breeds that, <laughs> that are still suitable for that? Yeah, good question. Uh, most of the guardian dog breeds were originally developed in Southern Europe or in Central Asia. And so the most common breeds here in the U.S. Um, are breeds like the Great Pyrenees from the Basque region of Spain, uh, which most people have, have heard of. Um, Maremmas are another breed very similar to Pyrenees from Italy. Um, and then there are some Turkish breeds that are fairly common. Um, Anatolian Shepherd and Akbosh, um, which are, are similar big white dogs. I think most of the dogs in the U.S. that are working dogs, as opposed to the pet dogs that are pedigreed, are probably some combination of those four breeds. Um, most people, myself included, don't, I don't really particularly care what breed the dog is as long as it came from working parents and from a working situation. There are some new breeds that are coming into the U.S. now, largely as a response to wolves and grizzlies in the Northern Rockies. And they tend to be larger dogs that are, come from areas where the, in Europe or Asia where there are still wolves or European brown bear. And those breeds are um, breeds like the Kangal from Turkey. Um, there's a large breed of Transmontano from uh, Portugal where there are actually still wolves. Karakachan is a, a um, breed, I think, from either Hungary, Hungary or Romania um, that's bred to, to be a, a guardian dog with European brown bear. And then there's some kind of less um, well-known breeds from Central Asia of Charkin and, and others that are, are we're starting to see here now in, in wolf country. That question for you about, not about dogs necessarily, but what are the predators that you're mostly concerned with down there? What what's worries you? Yeah, coyotes are probably our biggest uh, predator issue, but, um, but then we have, I, I'd say, close behind the coyotes, um, domestic dogs cause a lot of havoc. Um, yeah. We've had issues with guard dogs in the past, other people's guard dogs getting into our sheep. Yeah. Um, and then just people, the theft issue is a major issue for us. And, and so, um, the other predators that we run into, we will have eagles, um, yep. they'll take the baby lambs and then also, um, ravens. Yeah. Can get pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty vicious, but, with, um, with, with new lambs. Yeah. With the lambs when we're lambing. Yeah. yeah. We, we have had, um, where we lamb, we know that there's a nesting pair of golden eagles um, just down the, the watershed from where the sheep are. 
and um, it's always something I, I wonder about when we're lambing. You know, it wouldn't take much for an eagle to carry off a, a 10 pound lamb. Well, and a lot of times you don't know they're gone until you lose like 30 of them. And then because right. they pick them up and they carry them and then they drop them. And so they'll be, they, they actually will, they'll, they'll take the lamb from a pen and then they'll move it, you know, anywhere as much as maybe a quarter mile away before it actually gets dropped. So you're not going to check a field with no sheep. And yeah. when they, when they eat a lamb, they eat everything except for the bone and the skull. <laughs> so they, they, they really clean it pretty well. So it's hard to find those until after you've lost a substantial amount. So. Did you know the Rush family up in, in Humboldt County at all? I, I know of them. I don't know them personally, but I know of them. There's a story that Joe Rush told me God, probably almost 30 years ago about falling redwood timber on their place where they had sheep and finding lamb skeletons in the top of the redwoods that the, yeah. the eagles had left there. So, yeah. Amazing. Our dogs will actually, I haven't noticed this with eagles, but on occasion when we're lambing, I'll, I'll be out there at night and hear a great horned owl come in to the lambing paddock and the dogs will sit there at the base of the tree that the owl's in and bark until the owl leaves. I'll be darned. Pretty, pretty cool. So, so what kind of, um, what kind of traits, like specifically what kind of traits make a guardian dog a guardian dog? And when you're looking to maybe select guardian dog, what kind of things are you looking for in those puppies that um, express potential? You know, the first thing that I, I look for, um, I, I guess there's kind of three, three traits that we look for, three behaviors that we look for. We want, once a dog's working, we want a dog to be attentive to its environment, um, to be protective of the sheep that it's with, and to be responsible or respectful um, or submissive to the sheep. Um, and so, you know, how do you tell that those traits in an eight week old ball of fluff, fluff that you're, you're trying to pick out. And I, there's a couple of things that I think in my experience um, are a benefit when looking at a puppy. <clears throat> First thing I want to know is that both parents are working dogs. And if I can, I want to see both parents in the environment they're working in, kind of see how they're responding to sheep and how they are around people. Um, in our situation, we need a dog that's not going to be real aggressive towards people, but but aggressive as it needs to be towards predators. Um, and so I kind of want to see the parents working. I also really think it's important for the puppy to have been born where it could smell and hear livestock before its eyes were open. I think that just kind of is part of the environmental factors that make for a good dog. Um, and the dogs that I've had success with were all born in that manner. They were, they were either born out in a field or born in a barn where there was livestock around close. And I think just that early exposure is important. When I'm looking at a puppy then at like eight to 10 weeks of age, um, kind of want that middle of the road puppy. I don't want the puppy that's overly curious, curious and comes up to see me right away. But I also don't want the one that holds back in the back of the pen and is afraid of a human. Um, kind of a dog that could care less that I'm there after he first realizes I, there's somebody new that just goes back and lays with the livestock. 
And um, for us, that that has been a pretty successful technique. Um, every dog that I've started goes through kind of some progressions in behavior that, that I've kind of come to expect now. But, you know, those dogs that, um, one of the things you can do is roll a ball past a group of guard dogs. And if they don't have a strong prey drive, they're going to look at the ball and look at you and say, what the heck was that? Um, the dogs that chase the ball probably are not dogs that I want around my sheep ultimately because they've got that drive to be attracted by, by some sort of stimulation like that. How, how would that different, how would that differ if you're uh, like a range operation where you act, you know, because I, I imagine when you're not in an urban environment, you're out on a BLM permit, you want those dogs to be a little more aggressive. You know, I think probably um, the principles are, are largely the same. I think, you know, there's been a lot of concern in recent years about dogs on public land harassing recreationists or chasing bikers or, or things like that. And so I think, I think the same principles apply. A dog that is submissive to livestock that's okay around people for the most part, um, but aggressive towards predators kind of starts from that same foundation. Now, if I were a range operator, I'd probably want to pick out a puppy from another range operator. I wouldn't necessarily want a pup from an operation like mine, but I'd probably be looking for the same behaviors in that pup at eight to 10 weeks of age. What, um, how, how is it different? Um, I mean, the dogs are naturally instinctual. Yep. And how is it different, the encounter from that dog's perspective, the encounter with the human versus the encounter with the predator? Because humans can be a threat to sheep and they can be a predator. Yep. Uh, how, do they, how do they distinguish that? <clears throat> That's a really good question that I don't, I don't know a scientific answer to. I can only share a couple of examples from our own experience. Um, maybe 12 years ago, we ran an internship program. And it was mostly people that had just gotten out of college or who were starting a career, but who were interested in sheep. And we always had a two week trial period for every intern, just to make sure they were a fit for our operation. Two cases, I had um, dogs that would never let the intern close to the sheep. And they figured out something about that individual person that they just never could trust. Huh. And so in both cases, the dogs were right. The dogs intuited things that it took me longer to, to figure out, but there was a reason the dog, the dogs were right. Those people shouldn't have been around our sheep. Um, why, why shouldn't they have been? Were they a threat to the animals themselves or were they just um, like, were they aloof to animal husbandry? Like, what exactly was the... I think they were aloof to animal husbandry. And I think the way that they moved around the sheep, the dogs perceived as a threat. So if you came out to work sheep because you're around sheep all the time, my dogs would be your best buddy. Somebody that comes out and moves a little fast or a little aggressive or something, uh, the dogs just don't like. And I, this was a dog, this happened twice with, with 
the same dog and, and the dog was probably one of the more aggressive dogs I've had. He was a great guardian, but probably a little more aggressive. It happened this last um, month while we were sharing, we had somebody there helping who was a little unsure of themselves around sheep and a dog that's never been aggressive towards humans in his life decided that this guy was moving a little fast around his sheep and, and let him know. And the way he let him know was he tore the pockets off the back of his pants. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a good wake-up call for me. But, but for, and I don't know how they know it, but they know it. Huh, that's fascinating. Because I would assume you have dogs that just naturally anything that comes around, human or otherwise, they're going to kind of be aggressive towards. But, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our, the, you know, one of the, the, the training aspects with these dogs is I never, when we start a dog at home in the bonding process, I never scold the dog for barking. Doesn't matter what the dog's barking at. If he's barking, it means that there's something he's not comfortable with in his environment. So I might go out there and check, you know, middle of the night, see what he's barking at, but I'm not going to tell him not to bark. And, so, um, so can you go through a little bit of that training program, what that looks like when you're training a guard dog? And then yeah. in, in that, if you could, if you could see, like, what are, once certain traits manifest themselves, you know, what are like the no-nos where, all right, this one's not going to work out. Yeah, and that's a, you know, I start from the standpoint of what I need an adult dog to do. Um, so I need an adult dog that is kind of a problem solver, that is attentive and will, will understand what a threat, what might be a threat. I need a dog that once he is, because we run an electric fence that, that understands that there may be people outside the electric fence he doesn't know. And once he understands that is reasonably okay with it. I need a dog that stays with the sheep. Um, you know, we're running in a lot of public settings and I can't have a dog that's decided it needs to chase the coyote 10 miles away or needs to jump out and play with the neighbor dog. The dog needs to really want to stay with sheep. Training, I think, is kind of a misnomer in these dogs. It's more, I, I term it the bonding process, I guess because early in their life, we want them, we want to lay that foundation where their, their number one goal in life is to be with their sheep. And that kind of solves the rest of those problems for us. When we get a pup, so thinking about a pet dog, you know, when you get a pet puppy, one of the first things you do is get that puppy socialized to other people, other dogs, everything that's in your environment that you want that dog to be comfortable with. And the reason it works at that stage in a puppy's life is that from about 10 weeks on up to 20 weeks of age, their brains are developing so quickly and they really start forming those social bonds. Dogs are a social animal. And so we can use that to our advantage with a pet dog we can also use it to our advantage with a guardian dog. And so I'll bring a puppy home at eight to 10 weeks of age and it immediately goes into a pen, hopefully in our case with a couple of old dry ewes. Um, I want sheep that are used to being around a dog that aren't gonna hurt the dog necessarily, but also are not gonna put up with play behavior with the dog chewing on them or chasing them. And so that in our system, um, 
um, that process lasts till the dog maybe is four or five months old. We're just with a couple of old, old dry ewes. We do expose them to electric fence during that period. Um, I typically am the only one that handles them in that period. I go in and feed them twice a day. Um, I will talk to them and, and maybe pet them when they come up to me, but I'm not, not doing what all of us love to do with the fluffy white puppy, you know. Um, really their job at that point is to learn where they need to stay. Usually at five or six months of age, um, they start going through puppy teenage years and they've discovered that they're about, you know, they're big enough to, to uh, intimidate a you if they really want to or want to play with her. We'll typically at that point put the, put the puppy with the rams who are even grumpier about dogs that aren't behaving. Um, and at that point, the dog's big enough not to be injured by the sheep. And I want the dog to learn that it's best to be submissive around sheep. And you know, submissive behaviors are things like licking its lips or even um, rolling over on its back. Um, our older dogs now will, will go flop down in front of a ewe with lambs and just lay on their back and let the ewe stand over them. But that's, that's kind of the behavior I'm looking for. We'll also at that phase um, do things like make sure they know how to ride in the back of the truck, that they're comfortable riding in the trailer um, all together. Um, we'll also leash train them so that they'll, they'll walk with us if we need to walk along a county road or something like that so that they're comfortable on, on the lead and comfortable being chained up. You know, if we're working in the corrals and, and there's people there they don't know, we'll usually chain them up somewhere in the shade so that there's just not the stress on them. But, so they don't the but training, tra you know, it's not like obedience training or training a, a uh, border collie. It's, it's mostly getting them used to their job. How do you as an outsider, you know, when you go to a ranch that, that is using dogs, how do you interact with those dogs, you know, you've going to a bunch of sheep and you're going to look at the sheep. Um, how do you enter into that field? How do you react to the dog? Oftentimes, especially in a range situation, they'll come up, bark at you. And, uh, I mean, just with normal dogs, there's a certain method you should go through. But how yeah. does that, how do, how do you encounter a dog on a working landscape? That's a, that's a, Excellent question. And I think it depends on, on where you and if why you're there, why you're encountering them. You know, for assume you or I, you're just going to look at sheep. So, no, yeah, no, yeah. no malintent. <laughs> for you and I, you know, if we're visiting some, we're out even like when I, when I go out in the mountains and come upon a band of sheep, if there's dogs with them, what I will typically do is just let the dog approach me. <coughs> Excuse me. Not, uh, not, approach the dog, not approach the sheep until the dog knows I'm there and, and comfortable with me. I will let, if the dog wants to come up, I'll let the dog sniff me all over. Um, sometimes those dogs aren't ever comfortable coming up and just bark and bark and bark. And um, in my experience, most of the time, if I'm calm and moving slowly and deliberately, um, maybe not looking the dog directly in the eye, um, those dogs will typically calm down enough for me to go walk through sheep and look at sheep. 
Um, I also make a point, you know, most you and I would be with somebody else typically if we're looking at sheep. Um, but I'll, I'll make a point of talking to the herder and, and making sure the dog knows that I'm talking to the herder and, and let them observe that maybe it's okay I'm there. Um, they have a pretty good intuition about it. No, I'd say my, my, my interactions with guard dogs are pretty similar where, you know, if you just, you stay, you know, you stay confident, you know, they're not, they don't want to just attack people. They're, they're not there to attack you. They're there to guard the sheep. And so the main thing is to let the dog know you're not a threat to the sheep. So you don't, if it starts barking at you, you don't, um, you don't turn around and run away because that tells them that you're, um, you are a threat and they were right. You just kind of stand tall. If they want to come yeah. greet you, you let them sniff you, you let them greet you and say hi to them. But if they don't want to approach, then you just um, continue to walk slowly and, and methodically and just go through the sheet and they tend to be all right. Um, so have, I, I have you had, very similar. Have you had any bad experiences with guard dogs and other operations? Uh, no. Well, uh, like I said, we have had issues with uh, guard dogs, like getting in and, and, um, uh, and chewing up some of our sheep, but, um, in, in that, you know, that, that's, those are, those are rare occasions, but when they happen, it's usually just one dog that has gotten in the habit of it. Yeah. But, um, but no, out, out on the range, I'm going around. I really don't have any bad experiences with the guard dogs. They're all very positive. Um, the main thing to me is you just have to, you have to understand where you are in relation to the sheep and um, especially working them in the corrals or something that you're not threatening the sheep. You're just, you're yeah. moving them around. So, and, and I think that's important. Do you have and what, what's some of the costs? What's some of the financial side of running a dog? You know, I, I kind of break the costs into three different elements um, just in terms of figuring out whether they're cost effective. So I, I look at the capital cost of buying the dog. <clears throat> um, and if I've got to drive a ways, I got to include that in the cost of picking up the puppy. Um, most of the, the puppies that, that I'm familiar with here in the last couple of years, you can get a, a good, good puppy from working genetics for three to $500 um, at that kind of eight to 10 weeks of age um, point. Then I, I have a separate category of costs that I call development costs. And that's the cost of taking that eight week old puppy and growing it up till it's 18 months to two years old and can go to work. So you gotta, you gotta account for all of that, right? You got dog food, you got vet bills, you got your time, um, but that dog's still not really an asset to your, to your operation yet because it's not really protecting livestock. And then once the point, <clears throat> the point that those dogs go in to a working environment, then there's kind of the operating and depreciation costs. They're big dogs, so they're not hugely long lived you know, eight years is probably old for a livestock guardian dog, um, just because they're, they're big and they're, they're living in, in out in the rough environment, typically. Um, I think you also have to calculate your success rate in taking a puppy and getting a working age dog. So, you know, if, if 
our success rate is about three quarters of the dogs that we start with are going to end up working. But I've got to add that cost to that puppy that I tried to develop that ended up having to be a pet somewhere into the cost of acquiring those dogs. <clears throat> our cost between dog food and vet bills and depreciation um, is probably in the neighborhood of $550 to $575 a year per dog. So then I got to look at what I think that dog is saving me, right? How do I measure something that didn't happen? I think that's part of the challenge in, in understanding their cost effectiveness. Um, seeing a picture of a mountain lion walking by the lambing pen, there's a value in not having to worry about that. Too. Yeah, well, no doubt. What, one other question, what did our dogs, um, our dogs, how interchangeable are guardian livestock dogs as far as like, are, do they bond with specific sheep? And so you can't take dogs from your ranch that are attached to your sheep and just move them to some different types of breeds of sheep and have them go to work right away or are they pretty fluid? It probably depends I think, on the dog. But. You know, I think a well-bonded dog is pretty fluid. I think the challenge is, I was thinking about this the other day, I think the sheep, the livestock have to be bonded to the dog too. And so when I bought outside sheep that had never been with the dog, it took a couple of months before they were comfortable with that dog being with them. Um, the right kind of dog probably shortens that time frame. So I'm a really submissive dog. But I, I think that's part of the issue. So I couldn't necessarily take one of my good guard dogs and bring him to your sheep and have your sheep be comfortable with that situation. I couldn't take my guard dogs probably and take them and put them with cattle because they hadn't been bonded with cattle. Or in an operation like yours that's got cows and sheep together, they might see the cattle as a threat to the sheep. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think that's an element of it. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, there are people that sell working age dogs that are guaranteed to work with your sheep. And I've not had much luck with the dog I didn't start. I think it's rare for a dog that didn't get bonded and brought up in my system for a commercial setting to be successful in a commercial setting. Um, I know others feel differently about that, but I, I, for us, that's kind of been, been um, an area where I, I'm more comfortable with the dog I started. But so what, what kinds of, you guys don't use guard dogs. We nope. talked a little bit about this in risk management. What are, what are the reasons you guys don't use them? Right? I, one of the, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one of the, the main reason is um, we're, we're pretty spread out as an operation. Um, I actually hadn't thought about the cows, sheep and having to bond them with the cows. Um, which would definitely be an issue. Our cows would chase the dogs if they were in there. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, but, but one of the main reasons we're so spread out and it's so important with dogs, uh, and when we see this with our border collies, but it's so important to be consistent every day with those dogs and where we're so spread out, um, I could see consistency of interacting with those dogs on a daily basis by employees all the time would be very would be would be a challenge which would create the potential for issues 
and yeah. we have experienced issues in the past with other with guardian dogs around us and um, the majority of them are fantastic and, and you know i i i think for as many problems that we've had from a neighbor's guardian dog those neighbors guardian dogs have eliminated coyotes that have been eating on our sheep so i i think the cost benefit is it's a good thing that they have those guardian dogs but we just can't um I just, I'm, like I said, I'm a little nervous about taking on that. And then we're also fairly urban. So we'd have to have a really um, kind of like your, your uh, demands where you want a dog that's going to stay with the sheep constantly, not run off with the neighbors, not go after people. We have, um, they have bicycle races out in the hills and we don't want them chasing any of that. So, so it, it's kind of a, it's a lot of extra work on top of what we're doing. And we feel working with our USDA trapper, um, maintaining our fences as, as good as we possibly can. Um, those, and then co-mingling them with the cows um, kind of limits the losses. But that still doesn't make up for it. We had a bad year this last spring. And, um, you know, if you penciled your loss this year versus the cost of running dogs, it would probably make sense. But if you ran our cost of running dogs versus the previous four years i don't know if it would so right 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 it kind of depends on and, the you year. know I, you guys have a really good wildlife services guy down there that's that's yeah. and i think one of the things people maybe don't realize from the outside looking in is that somebody like him is is providing all kinds of support non-lethal support for what you guys do too. He's figuring out other ways you can deter predators. Um, yeah, and he honestly, it, it helps maintain, um, if you, if you, if your area has a good relationship with wildlife services, they eliminate the problems. They don't, you know, so your, your, your coyotes that are causing issues are the ones that are getting euthanized. The, um, I mean, there's a lot of coyotes that don't get shot in our area yeah. and because they're not causing any issues. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's really important. And we work with him a hundred percent. I mean, we don't, yeah. we, we don't do anything without kind of his permission and his blessing. And yeah. uh, we always divert everything to him. Even if we see a coyote running through a field, I mean, if it's in the sheep, we'll probably chase him off. But if he's just walking through a field and we see it, we won't even go after it. We'll just call him, tell him where we saw it. And, um, you know, he, cause he wants to track the behaviors, see what they're doing and then make targeted, um, you know, make sure they eliminate the problems. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and they're, those, the guys that we work with up here are, are the same way. And, and if we do have a loss in part of it for me is knowing what I'm up against and they can help us figure out, well, was this a dog or a coyote or a lion or, or what are we dealing with? And then I can, I can adjust what we do based on their expertise too. Mm -hmm. That's really, really valuable. Do you have any kind of cautionary stories or positive stories, whatever way you want to swing as far as um, running livestock guardian dogs, something, you know, for somebody who's interested, you know, a cautionary tale to not do or something that, you know, one of the reasons to do it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a, a couple of things from our experience. Um, just to, to kind of watch for or think about doing. Um, one of our first guard dogs was a female that we hadn't altered. And um, 
the first time she went through lambing, the first lamb that was born, she was convinced was hers, was her puppy. And uh, didn't work out well for, for anybody. You know, the ewe was pissed off. Um, the lamb couldn't nurse because the dog wasn't lactating. And the dog was confused that this ewe was coming after her. Um, and so I think just kind of watching that first experience with lambs is a cautionary tale. We have subsequently, the, we, we kind of we joke that it's our final exam for a new dog. Um, but we have to have a dog with lambing ewes just because of how we pasture lamb. And the final exam is to put a young dog in, a, in the lambing pasture with an older experienced dog and let that older experienced dog show him the ropes. I have video of, of two different dogs around lambing ewes being chased off by an older dog while a ewe was in labor. Oh, wow. And it was the last time that that young dog ever even showed any interest in a, a ewe that was down giving birth because that older dog just chased him off. Now, you might think that that's a real Walt Disney kind of tale, you know, the old dogs showing the young dog the ropes. And what the old dog's really saying is, I know there's going to be afterbirth there and I'm going to clean it up and you don't get any. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, it does enforce the rule and, and it's been a really successful technique that we've used now several times. Huh. Success. I, you know, I think the other cautionary tale um, in suburban settings is that talk to a lot of folks that get their first two or three sheep or two or three goats and they know that guard dogs will protect them and they think they need a guard dog in suburban Rockland. And those dogs job is to bark at predators. And when the neighbor's 200 feet over the fence next to you and is up all night because your guard dog's barking, that's probably not a good neighborly thing to do. Um, and I worry that because government officials then get involved in those kind of nuisance complaints that um, it may impact using dogs in a more commercial setting. So I think there are other tools for folks to use if they've got five or six sheep, five or six goats in kind of a, a more residential setting, than a guard dog that's gonna bark at the neighbor's cat all night. So I, got, I got two two more questions. Uh, well, three more actually. But uh, first one is: do, do most of these livestock guardian dogs do they make good pets, good family pets? Um, probably depends on where your family lives. Um, yeah, my dogs my dogs would not make great pets. Um, we usually, if a dog gets too old to work, we'll bring him home and just let him kind of live out his years at home, um, but we're at a place where the neighbors aren't worried about barking dogs, number one. Um, you know, I think they can be outdoor pets. I think they can bond. If, they, if you bond one of those dogs with your family, that dog will want to stay with your family. And I think from that regard, they can be, can be decent pets, um, but they're big dogs and um, you know, they're, their instinct is to bark at whatever they think is a threat. Yeah. When my when my daughters were young, if somebody the dogs didn't know came to see the sheep and my girls were with me, um, the dogs knew my girls and they made sure that they stood between the girls and the stranger until the stranger left. And I'll be darned. If you wanted that for your family, I suppose that could be okay. <laughs> 
So, the, but the strength of that guardian dog is that bond that's formed in that, that, yeah. that early year. Yeah. Second yeah. half of the first year of its life. And yeah. that, that bond is the strength of the breed. Yep. Yep. And I, I do know some folks that have Pyrenees in particular as pets and they're, they're nice pets, nice dogs to be around. And, you know, we see one of them at a soccer game. Yeah. Um, during fall soccer all the time. And it's a nice dog, but, uh, yeah, we got a couple of town too, just kind of older. They're older Pyrenees dogs and just giant little fuzz balls and the kids climb up and play on them all the time. They're just great, yeah. great animals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then my second to last question is, uh, you mentioned a little bit, what kind of, you're doing some interesting research on some guardian dogs right now. You want to talk a little bit about what that is and what your, any findings? Yeah. Are? Yeah, that'd be great. We're doing a, um, a couple of pretty interesting things. Um, we are, are doing preliminary work on figuring out whether these dogs displace predators. So by that, I would mean if you were using a guard dog and your neighbors weren't, does that just mean that all the coyotes go to the neighbors and kill their sheep? Or is the dog disrupting predatory behavior? So in that case, the, the coyote or the predator stays within that landscape, but doesn't eat sheep. And I think that's important for us to understand. It's probably a combination of the two, but it's important to understand as we, we get predators like wolves back in California, are we just shifting the problem from one place to another? And so for that research, we're using some mobile um, positioning technology GPS technology that will allow us to track the position of the dogs relative to the livestock um, and be able to look at how they're interacting over the course of a grazing season, for example. So we'll put, uh, we'll put collar, we've got collars on our dogs at the moment. We are um, gonna put collars on dogs up in Truckee this summer and we're hoping to enroll um, a half dozen other operations in that research just to see how that behavior changes depending on, on the environment and on the operation. We are just about to start a, uh, a long-term survey of people on how they bond their dogs with, live, with their livestock. So we wanna get a better understanding of kind of what works and what doesn't in that bonding process and um, how people deal with problems as they arise just so we can, we can share that wealth of producer knowledge that's out there. And then the last project that we're doing, um, you know, we, we have had, we do have a, an active wolf pack in California. We've had a wolf travel clear down into our part of the Sierra Nevada um, over the last couple of years. And so cattle producers who haven't had to worry about predators by and large, are very, very concerned about wolves and are interested in, in guard dogs. Um, we're gonna do a demonstration project on how to, to bond a guard dog with cattle to see if it's any different than with sheep and, and kind of see how that system works. So um, it's interesting. There's, there's a, a kind of a renewed interest all over the West in doing this. And so I, I actually had a call today with researchers from Utah, Texas, Montana, Oregon State and other parts of California all looking at, at how we might work together on this information. 
That's some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, you know, we got to put a GoPro on one of the guard dogs now and see, see what they see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that might that, that that could be a really fun video, but then it could also get pretty gory pretty quick if the right circumstances happen. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, yeah, I, I think that probably wraps up the time limit for the day. I, I had one more question, but I forget it right now, so I'll just ask you another time. But uh, before we wrap up and leave, anybody who made it through the whole episode. And next week, I'm pretty dang excited. We teased it a little last week, but we got it set up. We're going to be recording, um, doing an interview with uh, Richard uh, Richard Amy, known as Dick Amy in the industry. He's uh, my grandfather and born in 1929, and he's going to be 91 this August. And he's he's lived the California sheep industry over his years and, and um, really built quite an operation. And we're going to talk to him about kind of what got him started into sheep, some of his motivations, uh, and, and, and kind of how, how sheep became his life. And, and, um, and I'm really excited to sit down and talk with him. And, and um, we are going to try to live stream them on our Instagram accounts when we do the interview. And then we'll also post the podcast and stuff later. And I was thinking we can call this and we'll do a couple others of some other guys as we progress. But I think we should call this the Legends series. I think that's, uh, that's perfect. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. I've had several chances to talk to your grandpa and, and uh, learn just a tremendous amount every time I do. So I can't wait for that. It would be great. Yeah. yeah, me too. So anyway, until next week, this is Sheep Stuff You Should Know with uh, Ryan Mahoney at California Sheep Rancher and Dan Macon at Flying Mule. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week, Dan. Thanks again. Thanks, Ryan. Have a great week. Yep, you too.